You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We're here on a Tuesday. I said we. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. What's going on, Matt Miguez here? I haven't said this in a couple days, and I'm chomping at the bit to get this phrase out. Producer extraordinaire slash the co-host with the most, Mr. James Mesh, finally back in the building. James, what's going on, buddy? What's up? How are you? Doing all right. How about you? I'm better now. I'm, I'm sure you are. I'm better now. Uh, man, how how was the wedding? I never got to ask you. It was good. It was a good turnout. Yep. Good. Good. Didn't, didn't sweat too much since it was an outside wedding. We got a lot of sports to get into. We do. There's a lot going on. Uh, one thing that we're really gonna touch on is top ten quarterbacks in the NFL. Two lists came out today. I don't agree with either one of them. James is a little bit on the fence. So what we're going to do in this first segment is we're going to talk about those two lists. And then in the 5 o'clock hour, James and I are going to make our own lists. We've got a college football guru coming in today to talk about the Cajuns and the Tigers at 4.15 and 4.30. At 5.15, we will start previewing LSU and UL football opponents. And we'll start with the Florida State Seminoles. Tigers' first game, Cajuns' second to last game this season. So we will preview the Seminoles with Andrew Silva of Locked On Seminoles. And then at 5.30, like we do each and every Tuesday, we're going to the moon with Brian LaLima of Apollo HOU and Sports Talk 790 in Houston. Today's poll question. Where do you see Jameis Winston as ranking-wise in terms of quarterbacks in the NFL? Do you see him top 10? Do you see him top 15, top 20, or even bottom 5? So far, 9% say top 10, 45% say top 15, 36% say top 20, and 9% say the bottom 5. So out of 11 people, one person has said bottom five. Intriguing. One person has also said top ten. I'm a Saints fan. I cover the Saints. I love Jameis Winston. He is not a top ten quarterback in the NFL. He's not. I don't think he ever has been. I don't think not once in his career has he been a top ten quarterback. He's been close a couple times. Rookie of the year was a year where he was probably pretty close. But then he had a couple bad seasons. Then he came back and set the world on fire in terms of passing yards and touchdowns. Then he also threw the most interceptions in the league. So that, uh, again, James Winston, not a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. But according to executives, coaches, and players... Here's your top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. Number 10, Dak Prescott. 
Number nine, Deshaun Watson. Number eight, Russell Wilson. Number seven, Justin Herbert. Six, Matthew Stafford. Five, Joe Burrow. Four, Tom Brady. Three, Josh Allen. Two, Patrick Mahomes. And one, Aaron Rodgers. So I'll give Aaron Rodgers his due. Three-time MVP. Back-to-back MVPs. I don't think that he is the top quarterback. Josh Allen, Tom Brady, those guys are in your top five for sure. Joe Burrow, I think, is in the top five as well. I think the top five that they have is correct. I don't like the order. Matthew Stafford, uh, I can't really get my mind around that one. He's good. He had a good year. Won a Super Bowl, finally. Sixth best quarterback in the league? I don't know. Justin Herbert, again, another great quarterback. Has the most quarterback, has the most touchdown passes in NFL history in his first two years. He plays for a crappy team that can never figure out a way to get it done. And he doesn't throw a whole lot of touchdowns in the last couple years. Again, first two years, he had the most in first two years in NFL history. Since then, his numbers have dipped. I've had some people tell me he's a top three quarterback. I'm not buying that at all. Russell Wilson, eight. I can respect that. I don't think it's accurate. Can Russell Wilson resurrect himself and and make something out of the last couple years in Denver? Yeah. And I think he will. But right now, is he? I don't think so. Deshaun Watson? Talent-wise, Deshaun Watson's a freak of nature. The guy hasn't played in over a year. Kind of hard to put him top 10 when he hasn't played. So, a little iffy there. Dak Prescott? Yeah, he's a top 10 quarterback. He is. Some people say top 5. I don't buy that, but he is a top 10 quarterback. One name that I don't like that is not on here is Lamar Jackson. Lamar hasn't... Lamar has struggled last year, year and a half. But, I mean, an MVP, he's been in the league for four years and he's already won an MVP. He's already won a playoff game. He has as many playoff wins as Dak Prescott. So, again, the the list isn't far-fetched, but it's there. there's a couple of uh, tweaks that I think need to be made. And then Colin Cowherd comes out with a, a top 10 list. And there's two names that appear on this one that I'm not buying. But we'll get to that after we go to the hotline, 706-011. What's up, Martin? All right, I got to get something off my chest, man. I heard you bring up Justin Herbert, okay? For the sake of God, can we please, people that's listening, stop saying that his last name is Abair. It's nowhere close to Abair. It doesn't even, it's not even spelled like Abair. Because I'm a true Cajun from Iraq. And we got a lot of Abairs in Iraq. And it's not a, it's Herbert. Herbert. 
remember. That, I, I'll just have to get that on my desk. It's been waiting on me a lot. But, uh, but uh, so did I hear that right? You put Dak Prescott in the top ten? I did. Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that. I mean, he's, yeah, he's I, a top ten quarterback in the league. I think he's right out of the top, top five. I'll put him at eight. I'll put him at number eight. That's but fair. I put Tom. I wouldn't put Tom Brady in the top ten right now. I don't know where you had rank, where they had ranked Tom Brady. I'm sure it's way up there because they all the Tom Brady right now. He's not a top top five quarterback. Brady was four. Definitely not. Oh God, he's not. I put Dak Prescott is a better quarterback than Tom Brady right now. I mean, it's time they stop looking at like twenty year old Tom Brady and. Start looking at forty-five-year-old Tom Brady because it is a big, big, big difference, buddy. But uh, that's all I had. But uh, it's Herbert, not a bear. And have a good one. Thanks Appreciate you, Martin. Appreciate you, Martin. All right. So Colin Cowherd's list again. This is this is pretty close to what I have, other than you know a few. Patrick Mahomes one, Josh Allen two, Brady three, Rogers four. Russ, five, Stafford, six, Burrow, seven, Herbert, eight, Kyler Murray, nine, and Derek Carr, ten. Nine and ten, get out. Dak Lamar. That's your order. Brady, I'd probably switch Brady and Rodgers. Burrow, I would probably put above both Stafford and Russell. I think Herbert is is very fair in the six, seven, eight range. James, what do you think for Lamar? Just, well, I, I talked about Justin Herbert being you know the six, seven, eight range. Do you think that's a fair landing spot for him? It's not bad. I, I kind of have him a little lower. I don't necessarily look at Tom as twenty year old Tom because even then Tom wasn't that good. I'm I'm still I still look at him. I wouldn't say he's the best, but I wouldn't put him out of the top ten. No, because he still produced numbers. Does he Does he have a kryptonite with the Saints defense? Absolutely. Have we seen him slightly take a step back? Yeah, we we did see it last year. At the moment, though, I would still have him top five because he's still able to get it done he still was able to lead a comeback in the playoff game against the Rams unfortunately Los Angeles did still have time to get a game-winning field goal but the fact that he was able to he's still able to make those late game comebacks still at 44 you still have to consider that and he and he's putting up career stats no for sure for sure looking at Justin Herbert's numbers now, I, I want to be clear. In his career, he's completing 66% of his passes. Last season, he threw 5,000 yards, 38 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Good numbers. Great numbers, actually. Interceptions are a little high. His QBR bothers me. His QBR last season was a 65.6. That's not great. He was sacked 31 times last year, 63 times in his career. And then the other thing that I like to take into consideration when ranking my top 10 quarterbacks is your team. The Chargers were 9-8 and eight last year. 
He's 15 and 17 in his career. You said you said his QBR? Mhm. 65.6. Mhm. That's according to Pro Football Reference. I mean, I'm I'm looking at ESPN. I mean, it, yeah, it is 65.6. That's third. The only two higher are Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. 65.6 seems low though. I know, but if you look at others, Patrick Mahomes, 62.2. Look at Kyler Murray, 57.3. Stafford, 63.8. I mean, yeah, looking at the overall rating, not good. But that's also because I hate how math works, but if you do have that one game where you have like 12, but you've got a bunch of other hundreds, that's going to significantly lower the average. Because those one or two games that skew it because it's so low, like Aaron Rodgers having... He's always got really good QBRs because he's got a good touchdown interception ratio and he puts up pretty good stats. But the only thing that lowers is because sometimes you only see him throw for 150 because sometimes they just get bottled up in the, and the Packers only score like 13 points. Him getting sacked 31 times last year, though, bothers me. For Herbert? Yeah, that bothers me. No, it's not good. It's still technically under two a game, though. And that's with the line still not being good. They did get, oh, what's his name? They did get another offensive lineman in the draft, though. So it, and, and it is improving. And, and I'm going to say this. I, I'm not saying that Justin Herbert will never be a top three quarterback. I think he has the potential to be. I think he's on the right track to be there. I think he could easily fill in the spot of either Brady or Rodgers in that 3-4 range. I don't think he's better than Patrick Mahomes, and I don't think he's better than Josh Allen. I think there could be an argument made for Josh Allen being the best quarterback in the league. Patrick Mahomes, obviously, one of the best quarterbacks in the league as well. You have to put you just have to put Mahomes over him because he's won the Super Bowl. Right. And every time they played, the Chiefs come out on top. Mahomes wins. Right. So again, I'm not knocking Justin Herbert. I think he's a hell of a quarterback. I just don't think he's top five or even top three right now. Top ten for sure. Just lower half of that top ten. Moving on. One more thing I want to touch on before we take our first time out. James, Jamarcus Russell went on Ryan Clark's podcast and talked about his career and he told Ryan Clark that he doesn't feel that he was given a chance to succeed on the Raiders you did yourself no favors (laughs) like they had a suspension that you're not doing your homework and you're not doing what you need to do to be the best QB you you weren't studying the playbook and they and they gave you a placebo and you fell for it. And and then he he went this is the part that I find the most funny. And and I quote, If you're going to call me a bust, put biggest on that then. I agree. So, so you are one of the biggest busts. No, he is the biggest bust. You're telling me that you are one hundred percent content. With being the biggest bust in NFL history? 
Are you serious? But no, but no one gave you a chance. Right, you didn't get a fair shake. But you falling apart three years into the league, only throwing 18 touchdowns in three seasons, and having a quarterback record of 7-18. and 18. Oh, you didn't get a fair chance? Give me a break. That is absolutely ridiculous. That That's a ridiculous claim to even try and make. That's absolutely absurd. Anyway, the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, is packing its bags and headed to Atlanta. SEC Media Day's starting Monday, July 18th, as both RP3 and company and Crunch Time with Miguel Zemesh will be broadcasting live from the College Football Hall of Fame for the games live from SEC Media Day coverage presented by Borderline Furniture. Not only will RP3 and myself be broadcasting live, we will also be providing live updates each day, Ray on Footnotes and myself on the Jordy Holtberg Show. Kick off the 2022 college football season the right way in Atlanta with the game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Take time out right here. When we return, Phil Steele, the writer of the Phil Steele's College Football Preview, will join us to discuss first of the Tigers, and then in the second segment of that interview, he will discuss the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Johnson throws, Boutte's got it wide open at the 10, far side, he's in for the score. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. A shot to left field, going back on it's Gordon, he'll look up at the corner. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back into Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 in Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The college football itch is in the air, and since we're the home of the LSU Tigers in Acadiana, let's talk about the LSU Tigers. Phil Steele of the Phil Steele College Football Preview Magazine has joined us here on the hotline. Phil, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Matt. How about yourself? I'm doing well, getting ready for football season. You know, those those last two months when, you know, it's it's so close and you're ready for it to be here, it's the worst time of the year. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's my fun time of the year because I get to just do radio shows all day long and uh, no deadlines to worry about. But uh, always, always much better when the game's being played. No, absolutely. Let's talk about the LSU Tigers 6-7 and seven last year, let go of head coach Ed Ogeron bring in Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. I'll start there. You know, were you surprised by the acquisition of Brian Kelly by the Tigers? Uh, I was a little bit when they it, it didn't seem like the perfect fit for Brian Kelly, but uh then again, you look at Brian Kelly's past uh, he doesn't have the recruiting restrictions he had at Notre Dame necessarily. I think he's in a, a better recruiting area in the state of Louisiana. So I think in the long term, Brian Kelly's going to do very well there. Looking at the roster itself, you know, the, we'll start with the quarterback competition because that seems to be, you know, the the talk around Baton Rouge. You have Miles Brennan back for another year. 
You have a redshirt freshman in Garrett Nussmeyer who who did some good things for you last year. But then you bring in a three-year proven starter from Arizona State in, in Jaden Daniels. How do you see that competition playing out? Well, I, I could see any of the three uh, quarterbacks winning the job, uh, frankly. I was trying to get uh, during the spring, tried to watch a spring game and, and get a feel for who's had the edge, and really nobody has the edge. It's, uh, But I think no matter who wins the job, they're in pretty good shape at the quarterback position. As you mentioned, Daniels gives you the experience level. He also was highly thought of. Uh, last year he dropped off a little bit from his previous performances. But uh, Brennan is a guy who is highly acclaimed, 6'4", 235, new Meyer is 6'2", 190. He's uh, more of a riverboat gambler. Uh, so I think any of the three will do fine at the quarterback spot. And then, you know, whoever wins that job, they have a slew of receivers to throw to. I mean, LSU is getting back their top five receivers from last year, Kayshawn Boutte, Jack Besh, Malik Neighbors. And then you bring in a Louisiana transfer in Kyron Lacey. I mean, up and down, an elite wide receiver core. Yeah, and let's let's not forget that uh, last year Boutte basically missed half the season. Started the first six, then was injured out for the year. So not only a top five back, but having him back for the entire year, I think he's one of the premier wide receivers in the country. So this is a, a dangerous receiving core that I rate number five in the country overall. You know, Kyron, talking about Kayshawn Boutte, you know, you talked about six games and then he missed the rest of the year. What kind of impact do you think he can have on this wide receiver core if he has a, a full, healthy season? Yeah, as I mentioned, I think if he plays the entire year and plays to the level that he was uh, playing at, he's one of the best wide receivers in the country. Now, he did have a second surgery on that right ankle, but uh, I expect him to be 100%. And he's a potential first-round draft pick. Chatting with Phil Steele here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Looking at the offensive line now, Brian Kelly has called that one of his biggest question marks for this team. A lot of youth, a lot of inexperience. You bring in Tremont Shorts from Tennessee State, and you get a highly touted freshman in Will Campbell. What can you tell us about this offensive line? It's my biggest concern on the offense. As mentioned, uh, even though we don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be, I'm confident there. The running back core is deep. The receiving core is outstanding. Offensive line basically loses every starter from last year. Now, it doesn't. it's not like they're completely inexperienced. They've got 10 guys that have starting experience, 41 career starts overall. Uh, but last year's line underperformed. This year's line is a major question mark. They're going to need some players to step up and do well. Uh, you know, watching the spring, I thought the defensive line controlled the offensive line the majority of the spring. So it's, uh, it is my biggest question mark on the offense. And then defensively, you know, Micah Baskerville, Jay Ward, and B.J. Ojolari are, are your big three coming back. You've got a lot to replace, but you've also had a lot of guys, you know, step up in the spring. What are you, what are you expecting out of this defense? I like the defensive line. Uh, you know, when you look at Ojolari and Smith and Gay uh, bringing in Wingo from Missouri, I think there's plenty of talent and good depth on the defensive front. So overall, I rate the defensive line number eight in the country. Now, as you touched on, there are some losses, but uh, then again, Kelly hit the transfer portal hard in the back seven. I, I think he's got uh, about 10 players coming into the back seven transfers from teams like uh, Virginia, Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, Ohio State, places like that. Uh, remember last year, too, with LSU's defensive secondary, I thought they had the best set of cornerbacks 
in the country coming in, but then both guys ended up missing most of the year, uh, and Stingley and Rick. So uh, it's a unit that was hit hard by injuries last year, can really only improve on what they did. So overall, I'm saying the defense should be uh, slightly better this year. And then going back to the coaching staff, we talked about Brian Kelly. He brings in Mike Denbrock from Cincinnati. He also brings in Matt House and Brian Pullian. You know, just kind of talk about this coaching staff that Brian Kelly's been able to assemble in Baton Rouge. Yeah, and I think bringing Pullian as the special teams coordinator was uh, very nice because he is one of the top uh, ST coordinators out there and should should be able to get that group uh, humming in the, in a short period of time. When you look at uh, Denbrook, he did wonders at Cincinnati last year. And then uh, defensively, Matt House is a guy that was with the Chiefs, but uh, was I was impressed with what he did at Kentucky. So, I mean, this is a, a staff that looks pretty good. As I mentioned, I think LSU is really poised for a bright future. Looking at the schedule, you have it as the number six most difficult schedule Obviously, the SEC has a lot to do with that, but just looking at the non-conference, you kick off the season with Florida State. That's a, that's, Florida State's been down, but that's still a tough task to kick off week one. Absolutely, and then uh, drawing Tennessee out of the East is not good. Drawing Florida out of the East, those are two of the top three teams out of the East. Uh, playing Florida State week one is going to be tough. Good thing the thing is in New Orleans, so you know LSU is going to have a solid crowd edge. So it's uh, it's the sixth toughest schedule in the country, and I tell you, the SEC West is just brutal. You know, I think that the top two teams talent-wise are Alabama, Texas A&M, and when I, I do the, the magazine in a three-white write-through process, a post-season write-through, a pre spring right through and then do my actual forecast at the end. When I finished with the uh, pre-spring right through the second one, I uh, just took the five teams in the West that were below Alabama and Texas A&M and put them all in a tie. Now, naturally, I couldn't do that for the magazine, but that's how close it is. You could pick any of those teams to finish third and any of the teams to finish seventh. And then lastly, looking at this incoming class of freshmen this season. I mean, Walker Howard, one of the top quarterbacks in the country from last year's class. We talked about Will Campbell, Emory Jones on the offensive line as well, Terrence Welsh in that secondary. Just kind of talk about the, the true freshman that stepped foot on campus this spring. Yeah, I think it's an excellent class. And, you know, Harold Perkins at the linebacker spot as well. So there's plenty of guys coming in that should have an immediate impact along with the transfers. So I thought Kelly did a nice job blending the two, uh, bringing in some quality transfers, bringing in a great recruiting class. And keep in mind, usually uh, coaches' first recruiting classes down a little bit because of the fact that they join the team late after the season. It's tough to get all the recruits in a row. I think his second recruiting class will be even better. Phil Steele of the Phil Steele Preview Magazine joining us. Phil, appreciate you taking the time talking about the Tigers. Before you run, tell our listeners where they can find the magazine. I appreciate that, Matt. Uh, We had a a printing paper shortage. We had to print the magazine in two runs. The first run went exclusively to Barnes & Noble. So if you have a Barnes & Noble in the area, that's really the only place to get the magazine right now in these first couple weeks of July. At the end of July, we'll be able to get the magazine into the other stores. But right now, save your gas money. Gas is pretty valuable right now. And just head to your Barnes & Noble to pick it up. And if there's no Barnes & Noble nearby... You can go online to philsteel.com. That's S-T-E-E-L-E.com. When you go to philsteel.com, you can order the magazine, and we'll ship it right out for you. The game, 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with a brand-new Apple Watch. All you have to do is join our brand-new text club. 
Simply text GAME to 337-288-8100. That's G-A-M-E to 337-288-8100. Once you join, you'll be eligible to win that Apple Watch. Plus, you'll have a ton of chances to score other prizes like Astros tickets and more. It's the Games Text Club. Find out more at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Phil Steele will be back on the other side of this timeout to preview the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. They could debate who should win the MVP, but they'd rather argue who has the best hair in sports talk radio. We just wash the hair. You know, I worked on my hair a long time, and you, and you hit it. It hits my hair. Now back to more of the stylish crunch time with Miguez and Mash here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 in Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh here. We talked about the LSU Tigers last segment with Phil Steele. Now let's talk the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Phil, my first question for you. 13-1 and one a year ago for Louisiana. Nation's longest active win streak at 13 games. However, a lot of turnover for the Cajuns as Billy Napier departs for Florida and longtime assistant Michael Desermo steps in. Just give me a brief overview on your outlook for the Cajuns here in 2022. Yeah, my overview is uh, this team's a lot less experienced than last year's squad. Last year, of course, uh, Louisiana had 20 returning starters, 10 on each side of the ball. This year, only six starters back on offense. They lose their outstanding and longtime quarterback in Levi Lewis. Uh, some losses up front in that offensive line, which might be my biggest question mark on the offense. Uh, four starters lost there. Defensively, uh, top three tacklers are gone from last year, only five returning starters. I think this year's team is a step below last year's. Win streak-wise, I think they can get at least to 18 this year. They'll be favored in the first five games. Second part of the schedule, they've got some tough road games. They have to play at Marshall, at Southern Miss, at Florida State. All games which uh, could be a struggle, but uh, this is a Louisiana team that's playing in the right division. I think when you look at the two divisions in the Sun Belt, uh, playing in the, uh, the West like they do, they pick the perfect division because uh, all the other teams in the league, uh, in their division, I should say, had losing records last year. So I think Louisiana, despite being in somewhat of a rebuild mode, gets back to most likely double-digit wins this year. Before we dive into the roster, let's talk about the head coach, Michael Desermo. First year as head coach, spent time playing at Louisiana, has NFL experience with the Jaguars as well as CFL experience. He's been on UL's staff since 2014, stayed through the entire Billy Napier tenure, and now takes over the head coaching duties. What What is your thoughts on uh, on Coach Desermo? Uh, I was impressed talking to Coach uh, Desermo during the spring, post-spring, I should say, and uh, I like the fact that he's been there, watched what Billy Napier built, helped what Billy Napier built, and uh, knows knows what it takes to win. And, uh, you know, it's not a great situation with the, the amount of players that they lost, but I think he's the, just the perfect coach to take over and guide this team and uh, keep it from taking a step back. 
Let's dive into the quarterback situation. Like you talked about, you lose Levi Lewis, who was just 14 yards shy of the all-time record for passing yards in a career at Louisiana. And now you look at Chandler Fields, a, a guy who's been in the locker room for a couple of years now, knows the system. But sitting behind him, you got two guys full of talent in Fresno State transfer, Ben Woolridge and Lance Legend, the New Orleans native slash Maryland transfer. What do you think about this quarterback room? Yeah, I, I think let's start with Fields. Fields is a guy that's very competitive. He's somewhat of a gunslinger. He'll take a few more chances. But he probably has a better arm than Levi Lewis and uh, maybe more overall raw talent. He just doesn't have the experience. He's a, a very good runner, and he's a leader. So uh, Fields is my front runner out of the group. But when you look at Wolverich, uh, he's a guy that uh, maybe plays a little different than Chandler. While Chandler's a gunslinger, Wolverich is a guy that wants to do it exactly the way that uh, the coach says, does things by the book. And that's good if you want to cut down on turnovers. And he's also somewhat of a veteran, having played at Fresno State as well. And then with Lance, you know, he needs to figure out what's going on. And once he does, he took a big step forward in the spring. He's still learning. But there's a reason this guy was the number 19 quarterback coming out of high school when he signed at Maryland. And that's a that's a rare type of talent to land here at Louisiana. So I think it's a really good quarterback situation. And then with running backs, you know, you lose number one and two from last year, Montreal Johnson going to Florida and Amani Bailey going to TCU. But you do get back Chris Smith, you know, very experienced, been with the program for a few years. You also get a young man by the name of Terrence Williams who did good things in flashes last season. How do you how do you fill those holes that Johnson and Bailey leave, Bailey leave? Uh, that's you know it's sort of the same situation as last year. They lost a couple of top running backs, and Smith was the lone one returning. And I think they might be even in better shape than last year. Terrence Williams is a guy who's got a big body, he's a downhill runner, a one cut guy that's smart and physical. And you know Kendra Williams is another guy that had an impressive spring. But as long as Chris Smith stays healthy, I think that's the key. He was the one returnee last year, and then he led the team in rushing. And if he stays healthy, uh, they should be just as good as last year's running back core. For the Cajuns, very similar to LSU, a absolutely loaded wide receiver core. Neil Johnson, Peter LeBlanc, Michael Jefferson, Errol Rogers, Dante Fleming, John Stevens Jr. Whoever ends up being the quarterback will have no problem finding his skill players. Yeah, and let's not forget about the tight end, Johnny Lumpkin. He's a guy that uh, NFL scouts are looking at, so that really completes the receiving core. Uh, this is uh, an area of strength for Louisiana, no doubt about it, and you got to like the depth and experience level, plus the overall talent level that they have. And then, you know, you touched on the offensive line being a big question mark, losing four starters from a year ago. You know, Landon Burton in the middle at center, Jax Harrington and A.J. Gilly at the guards, Thomas and Rubio at your tackles. You know, what are you expecting out of that group? That's uh, probably my biggest uh, question mark is uh, this one. Uh, now, when I talked to uh, Coach DeSomo and went over the team with them, he said he felt uh, about the same way of this group as they did into 2020 when they lost three, two, uh, three starters on the offensive line. He said the guys are young, but they're hungry. It is the biggest question mark you have on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I think quarterback will be in good shape, but just one returning starter on the offensive line hurts a little bit. But uh, once again, the head coach is pretty confident in the group, so I would be as well. Chatting with Phil Steele here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Looking at the defense now, 
Kendall Wilkerson, Zion Hill coming back, Chris Moncrief coming back as well, Eric Guerra and Braylon Trahan in the secondary. You know, in in doing your research on the Cajuns, what can you tell us about the defense? Uh, defense, I don't, I don't think there's that many question marks there. You look at the defensive line, uh, two of the guys coming back up front, Andre Jones, you touched on. Trey Amos at the cornerback spot is a guy that's a phenomenal talent. He's a great competitor. Uh, I think he's got NFL potential at the cornerback spot and, uh, it's a veteran secondary overall. In fact, I rate the DBs in my top units in the uh, front of the magazine. So while last year's defense, uh, was pretty special, allowing just 16.5 points per game. Keep in mind, or excuse me, 18.5 points per game. They gave up 341 yards per game. I think they'll be fairly close to that this year. And then the special teams group, you know, Kenneth Almendares as your place kicker, and then Reese Burns as your punter. Reese has been a guy that has been really efficient and effective for Louisiana. At one point in 2020, you had the special teams group ranked number two in the country. Where do you have them this year? Yeah, they finished number two in the country in uh, 2020. And then last year, I was a little surprised they dropped in the numbers, number 42. They still had the majority of the players there, yet dropped to number 42. This year, I've got them back up to number six. I think with uh, Almondaris coming back at kicker, they won't lose much with losing Snyder. Everybody is back. Uh, the rest of the unit is back here on the special teams. So uh, I think it's going to be one of those stock market-type bounces. You go from number two down to number 42. I I think this year they bounce back up, and I've got number six. Returning six starters on the offense, five on the defense. You know, with the new coaching staff and with the lack of experience in, in both offense and defense, what are your what are you watching for the most in in terms of the Cajuns? Uh, I think it's going to be the the way the offensive line produces this year and the quarterback. That's going to be the key. Uh, can they handle the road games midseason, the ones at Marshall, at Southern Miss, key division games? But when I laid it out and you know threw in my nine sets of power ratings, uh, Louisiana pretty much is the best team this year in the uh, West, and then I think they win the West. And like I mentioned earlier, I think they have the potential to get to double-digit wins. You, you've talked about it numerous times, easy or or easier first half easier. of the schedule with southeastern eastern michigan rice ulm and south alabama but that middle stretch from october 12th to november 10th november 19th really brutal stretch for the cajuns yeah absolutely and they're going to have to take care of business on the road and that's going to be uh, i think the key factor to success this year but they are probably a more talented team than Marshall, Southern Miss uh, on the road. And, and who knows how that Florida State game is going to come out. We've seen Louisiana play pretty good against the big boys in the past. So I, I think if you're a, a raging Cajun fan, you've got to be optimistic about this season. And then lastly, Phil, looking at the, the signing class coming in, Lorenzel Dubose, Zeon Chris, Caleb Edwards, you know, what are you, what are you expecting out of the, the freshman group? I think it was a good signing class, even bringing a, a Juco and Marcus Weiser coming in. So a, a good class coming in. I think next year's class will be better. And I think we will see an impact from some of the players. I don't expect uh, Zeon Chris to see the field this year. I think it looks like it should be a redshirt year for him. But he's a guy that uh, keep your eyes on. He, I think he's going to be a special QB uh, down the road. Phil Steele of the Phil Steele Magazine joining us. Phil, really appreciate you taking the time yet again. Football season getting closer and closer. We appreciate the time as always and hope you enjoy the football season this year. 
thanks, Matt. Really appreciate it. Just want to remind the listeners real quick, only available at Barnes & Noble right now. It'll be hitting the rest of the stores later in the month, but only available at Barnes & Noble. But really good talking Raging Cajun football with you today, Matt. Appreciate you, Phil. And there he goes, Phil Steele of the Phil Steele College Football Preview Magazine. We'll take a timeout and bring back more crunch time with Miguez and Mesh after this. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana's sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 in Lake Charles. It is Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. 52 minutes after 4 o'clock here on your Tuesday. Let's go quickly now to the hotline. Chris joins the show. What's going on, Chris? Uh, came and went. Okay. I'm glad we heard that promo from, from RP3. Talking about Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols, if you haven't, if you haven't seen, Albert Pujols is participating in the Home Run Derby on Monday as part of All-Star Weekend. And I think that that is absolutely ridiculous. Chris calling back in? What's, go- what's going on, Chris? What you got? Hey, good afternoon, guys. You know, man, we in the dog days of summer. I am ready for some football. Um, I've been watching uh, – I watched LSU-Alabama 2019 yesterday, man. I'm ready. Look, I miss I miss both segments, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a regular caller. Y'all kind of know me, but this college football season, I want to touch base real quick on the raging Cajuns and the LSU Tigers. Now, I am concerned. I am very concerned right now. I don't want to be negative, but there's so there's been a lot of turnover with uh, Coach Napier and um, leaving, and and I'm I'm really hoping Coach Desarmo can can do a great job. I think there's a lot of question marks, but we'll see. I want to talk about LSU, man. The first three games of the season, you got Florida State, Southern, and Mississippi State. Um, And with so many transfers coming in, I think there are some question marks until we see what kind of product we have on the field. And And with the new coach, man, I was over there in Baton Rouge Sunday uh, at the stadium. And I miss I, – I understand Coach O went 6-6. Six and six, I understand. But I miss – I miss the whole Coach O. The, I'm the Gold Tigers. You know, I miss, I miss that. And I, and I really believe that we need to start very strong in those three games um, for the fans to really embrace Coach Kelly and what he's bringing. Um, and the, the schedule will get harder and harder. You know, with Alabama, Ole Miss, and Tennessee all coming to Baton Rouge. So, I guess I'm going to ask you all a question. What about our quarterback uh, positions with Jaden Daniels, Miles Brennan, and Walker Howard? Um, who do you all see starting? Thank you all for taking my call, and have a great day. Appreciate you, Chris. So, a couple things to unpack there. Number one, there are a lot of question marks surrounding the Cajuns. I agree with you. However, I don't think Coach Desermo is one of them. I, I think I think Des is going to come in and keep the program exactly where Billy Napier had it, keep it on the right path. They're going to keep winning football games. And 
I, I think fans are going to see that starting this year. I think that I think the Cajuns program is in great shape. It's going to be just fine. LSU again, a lot of question marks. A new coaching staff. Those first three games, you're going to be two and one, and the the one loss that's in my head, I don't think anybody sees coming. Thirdly, LSU's starting quarterback. If if I had to answer that question right now, it's a two quarterback system, and it's Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer. Now I know Chris didn't mention Garrett Nussmeyer. Walker Howard's going to redshirt. That is the game plan. Walker Howard will redshirt, and then in 2023, more likely than not, Walker Howard will be the guy. So I see a two-quarterback system with Nussmeyer and Daniels. Maybe Brennan beats him out during the summer. I don't know. I don't see that happening. But at this point, it's anybody's guess. Right now, those three quarterbacks are 1, 1A, and 1B. So we'll see what happens there. That's going to be interesting as we approach the next 50 or so days with college football. Hour number one, come and gone. Hour number two, just as stacked. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It is Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. That's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two, rolling right along. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's your home. For the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. We talked in the first hour about some skewed quarterback lists. We also talked about Cajuns and Tigers football. Hour number two, we're going to give our own QB lists. We're going to talk Florida State football. We're going to talk the Houston Astros and take your calls on the hotline, 706-0111. Here in Acadiana, watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. All right, James, I've got my list. I did the top 14. Actually, I did 15. I took the liberty of doing 15. So I'm going to go from 15 to 1. Okay, and you stop me if you disagree at any point. Okay. I mean, we'll we'll probably have some slight changes where maybe one or one's like, like you maybe have someone at thirteen and I maybe have them at right. eleven. O- only stop me if you egregiously disagree. Okay, fifteen Mac Jones. Okay, fourteen Jameis. Okay, thirteen Derek Carr. Twelve Kyler Murray. Eleven Matthew Stafford. Ten Dak Prescott. Nine Lamar Jackson. Eight Russell Wilson. Seven Justin Herbert. Six, Deshaun Watson. Five, Joe Burrow. Four, Brady. Three, Rodgers. Two, Allen. Pat Mahomes, number one. I mean, the the one that I had the farthest indifference was Stafford. I had him three spots different than yours. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, ours were pretty roughly the same, and it was in the same ballpark. And now James being extra and, and bougie. 
I'm not doing all 30, but I did do 30. 30. Guys, he actually took the time and wrote out. I'm so proud of you. I'm, I'm so proud of the work that you put in. <laughs> Just writing 30 names. Just writing, researching and writing 30 names of, of quarterbacks that after 14, nobody cares about. <laughs> but. Okay. What you got? 15. Okay. I, I got Matt Ryan. Gross. Okay. I think you. Just, I don't. I think you just kind of under. We. I feel like we've kind of undervalued him. Because yeah. because he's played for Atlanta last. He's played for Atlanta. He was an MVP in 2016, and they went to the Super Bowl. And I wouldn't say it was his fault that they lost. I'd put it more on the coaching and the play calling. Because mm-hmm. you could have ran the clock out, but you just decided to keep passing. Did he have the fumble? Yeah, but. Last couple of years, the the team's been piss poor, and he has not been the reason. And he's been consistent, putting up four thousand every year. So it's hard for me to go against him. Yeah, he was thirty two yards short of four thousand last year. So I, I mean, and it was even it was just like Drew. I mean, that's true. So you really can't undervalue him in that's my true. eyes. Fourteen, Jameis. Thirteen, Derek Carr. Okay. Twelve, Dak Prescott. Ooh. Okay, a little low, but all right. I, I'm a big proponent of what have you done in the playoffs? Um, that because because I get it. It's an in, when you're looking at individual players, you want to look at their individual stats. I get that. But what happens if the team loses? Who gets blamed? Head, head coach and the quarterback. So the fact that we're using winning. As not a factor in my eyes, for for other Q, for QBs, is egregious because it's like, what's the point of the game to win? But now keep this in mind: you have Lamar Jackson in your top ten, don't you? I do. Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott have identical postseason records, which is why they're not that far off. I just think Dak the last few years has had a better team especially offensively, than Lamar does. Lamar's only got running backs. And Marquise Brown was good. But you also look at the coaches themselves. They weren't scheming them open. It's ma- it's mainly running, right. and, I, and I just like Lamar. But at 11, I have Kyler. Kyler looks really good okay. in the regular season. Could you blame the coaching a little bit? Yeah. But what happened against the Rams? Yeah, he, he, Kyle, That's fair. He played like a middle schooler. That's fair. At 10, Herbie fully loaded. Justin Herbert. Love him. I and and he's one of my favorite QBs right now. But I only have him at 10 and lower than others because I haven't seen him in the playoffs. Could he easily do exactly what he does in the regular season? Yeah, I just haven't seen it yet. But that's why I still have him in that area. Lamar at nine. The first couple of times. He looked awful. But the last time they played, to me, it was the wide receivers. Because he was putting it in spots, and he was giving them a chance. It's just the wide receivers couldn't hold on to the ball or make enough plays to help him. Right. Because it's it's a two-way street. If I'm giving you a good ball and you drop it, it goes on my stats. And it's more important on it's my true. stats than you just having your drop. It's very true. At eight, I have Stafford. I have him a little higher because I've always thought he's he's been a really good quarterback. 
He just got no shine in Detroit. Yeah, even when he was on bad teams, he was still good. He was still really good. I'll give you that. And I wouldn't even say, I I don't want to say he like benefited from having good receivers, but it was like, look, him and Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup wasn't known as a top three receiver until Matt Stafford got there. Yep. So I, I have him at eight. Russ, Russ for me is at seven. I really like him. I like the talent, but I remember also watching a video and it explained it perfectly. Russ only knows how to run one type of offense. Is that kind of the case for a lot of QBs? Yeah. But it, just hearing that, it I, I wanted to put Russ top five, but I, I kind of lowered him a little bit because he always has those really good starts and then he kind of peers out at the end. Seahawks wasn't a great team, but I still like him in the top 10, not top five, but top seven, because I, I like what he will be able to do with the Broncos. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Joe Burrow at six. I initially had him top five, but I completely forgot about who was number five in my eyes. I had forgot we were counting him. But Joe, I mean, there's not much to say. It's Joe Burrow. Right. Five, Deshaun Watson. Has he not played? Did he not play last year? No. But in 2020, he was, in my eyes, the best QB. He just played for the Texans. Oh, you don't have to convince me. I had him at six. So uh, I'm just I'm just me. I'm just spewing it out loud to be like, hey, we're just like, he hasn't played in a year. I don't care. It's he's 27. It's not like he's magically just gonna lose how he plays football. Just because he's dealing with some off the field, yeah. In he was 20, arguably the best QB in my eyes last year, so putting him top five makes sense. In 2020, although they were four and twelve, he completed 70 percent of his passes for 4,800 yards, and he's still a Bill O'Brien and his coach and 33 touchdowns. How does your quarterback throw 33 touchdowns and you only win four games? How they're always behind. Defense, terrible as well. It, they didn't have a tight end. Absolutely. 33-7. and seven. That TD interception ratio is gaudy. My point exactly. Oh, I'm, Deshaun, talent-wise, raw talent, Deshaun Watson might be the best quarterback in the league. And what he can do on the field. Just in, just, he might be the best quarterback in the league. And it all just kind of depends on the system. Four Rodgers. Fair. Three Brady. Fair. I like I him more because, like I said, Aaron Rodgers, he's just like Peyton Manning in my eyes. Well, not the exact same, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Really good in the regular season. Postseason, look, he win, He he gets his bye because he plays in the NFC North, so he gets basically six wins just, just off that. Right. But as soon as we get to... And then he gets the easy cupcake in, in the divisional, usually. As soon as we get to that NFC Championship, where is he? Where is that bad man? Right. Still like him. Well, I don't like him personally. But no. still really good quarterback. I just have to deduct points because, to me, he just doesn't do it for me when it comes to the playoffs. Same thing with Peyton Manning. Tom Brady, not the greatest regular season guy. But going off what Martin said, he's had career years. 
He's had career years since he's gotten to Tampa. The man, the man led the league at 44 with 5,300 yards, and he threw for 43 touchdowns to only 12 interceptions. What? At 44? Come on. I, I still believe he's top three. Number two, Josh Allen. You could argue he's the best, but number one, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Mahomes has been over him every time. Yep. It's a, it's a 1A, 1B, but you got to give the nod to Mahomes. That's fair. Because I like his style more than Josh Allen's. Josh Allen, fullback that can throw, but I'm also worried about the long-term health of Josh Allen because he plays so physically. What do you think about the latest news that Deshaun Watson could only be facing four to six? I mean, I don't want to quote myself. I don't exactly remember what I said, but it sounds about... To me, I thought that's what it was going to be. Hearing the year, I was like, oh, we're actually going to do this. But... Knowing the NFL and their history, six games sounds about right when it comes to how they punish players. And look, I'm not going to get into ethics and morals and whatever. I think we can all agree how it's how it should be. Correct. I'm I'm just going to to say this: Deshaun Watson and Alvin Kamara probably shouldn't be on level playing fields. And to further prove that point, if Calvin Ridley is going to get a whole year for betting on games that he wasn't even a part of, and wasn't it just like one parlay? Right. I think it was. I think it was just right. a one. It was one bet. It was one parlay. If he's going to get a full year for that, Deshaun Watson's punishment should be higher than four to six. Should it be a year? I don't know about that. Just gonna, I think Calvin Ridley was over punished, and Deshaun Watson's going to get under punished. But when you're one of the biggest names in the sport, you know, that's usually how it works, right? Basketball news quickly expect the New York Knicks to put together a package for jazz star Donovan Mitchell. Utah's bar for trading Mitchell is sky high but the Knicks are the team that have the assets to at least make this a conversation. Do they? Did they sign Jalen Brunson just to immediately ship him off? Did you sign Mitchell Robinson just to ship him off? I mean, I don't know the draft pick situation in New York, but do they? I don't think they have a package that they could put together. And really and truly, I don't know that Utah wants to trade Donovan Mitchell. I think it's one of those things where, yeah, you know, we'll we'll listen to your offer, but unless it absolutely blows us away and it's an offer we can't refuse, we're not trading him. You're gonna have to give Utah five first rounders. I was gonna say, you'd probably have to send them three of these five players that I'm about to say, as well as picks. Between RJ, Obi Toppin, yeah, Cam Reddish, yeah, and multiple Mid- picks, Mitchell Robinson because they do need a center, and then Evan Fournier, and I, multiple cause picks because I, I can't. I don't know if I don't know if I can see Derrick Rose a part of the package. No, not not at this point in his career. And uh, Julius Randle could be a part of it. I just don't know if Utah wants him because we we've seen Julius Randle. Go back and forth with the fans in just New York in general. 
ever since he's been there. It's, just, it's been a love hate relationship. It's true. A couple comments on the poll question before we take a timeout. Where would you rank Jameis in terms of NFL quarterbacks? Top 10, top 15, top 20, bottom five. James Kennedy says outside the top 15, in the top 10 by the end of the season. He'll leapfrog Dak, Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Kyler Murray, and Mac Jones by season's end. And he tagged a gif that says you heard that right. Robert Duplichance says top 15. Greg Stout says top 20. Randy Russell says bottom five, no doubt. Randy, my goodness. Why do you hate him? I don't get it. Why do you hate Jameis so much? I that that's interesting. That's interesting. On Twitter, looking at the results of the poll question. James, I didn't ask you where where would you you have him top fifteen? I mean, we both have him top fifteen. Yeah. If if we're doing a projection of where we think he's gonna be by season's end. I, I would I would lean if we're doing like a realistic one and me not like just being like, oh, he's going to be the best. I, I would, I feel the 10, 11 range. I think fair. he'll, I think he'll improve a lot more. He's got weapons this time. Hopefully Mike is going to be there. If not all the year, most of the year. Right. And hopefully Camara isn't gone too long. And when he is, hopefully it's not something that, diminishes the stats a little bit where it's like oh he, he kind of dipped as soon as he lost Camara. Right. So far 6.7% say top 10, 46.7% say top 15, 333 say top 20 and 13.3 say bottom 5. The Houston Astros, one of the hottest teams in baseball and we want to help you see them live. The game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up. It's our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on Seattle Saturday, July 30th, and you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game. It is Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We'll take a time out. On the other side, we'll talk to Andra Silva, from Locked On Seminoles podcast, give you the 4-1-1 on Florida State as we get closer and closer to that matchup in the Caesar Superdome on Labor Day weekend. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station, it is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch time with Amigas and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 in Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 23 minutes after 5 o'clock here on your Tuesday afternoon. Getting closer and closer to college football season, we're going to start doing opponent previews for both Louisiana, LSU, 
and the New Orleans Saints as we get closer and closer to football season. Let's start with the Tigers week one in the in the Caesars Superdome against the Seminoles of Florida State. Mr. Andres Silva, co-host of the Locked on Seminoles podcast, joining us. Andres, man, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. So question number one, and I'm, I'm seeing this on Twitter now, four-star quarterback Chris Parson is decommitted from Florida State. He's been committed to the Seminoles since July of 2021 and was a finalist in Nike's Elite 11. What do you think that means for the future of the quarterback position at Florida State? So I was wondering if you guys were going to pick that up before we got on. Um, so with Chris Parson, I mean, as you said before, he's been committed for about a year. Um, but I think he's one of those kids that where the staff got on him early and then he hasn't developed to, you know, the sort of standard that they were seeking out. So um, they've actually been looking at a uh, quarterback prospect by the name of Brock Glenn, who actually also was at Elite 11 with Chris. And all signs right now are pointing towards uh, Brock Glenn committing. And to me, this is the instance of where a kid believes he should be the primary option moving forward. So he took visits over to SMU and Mississippi State uh, very recently. So I'm not surprised by this. But I do think it's a little bit of a concern where uh, QB, we currently only have four scholarship QBs on the roster. So hopefully, you know, with the commitment of Chris Parson, hopefully the eventual commitment of a Brock Glenn, are she able to find a second option out there somewhere. But it is a little worrisome. I mean, that's the best way to put it. Talk to me about Jordan Travis, the the quarterback that's returning this year. 1,500 yards, 15 touchdowns, six interceptions last year. He also ran for 530 with seven touchdowns. You know, talk to me about this kid. What can he do, and uh, how does he help Florida State's offense? So the best way I can describe the game play style Jordan Travis is that he is just basically he's a gamer. Um, he's a kid that, uh, quite frankly, um, he would have transferred coming you know, I want to say about two or three years ago under the uh, previous regime with Willie Taggart and came in during the 2020 season to replace uh, James Blackman. Now, one of the big dynamics we, or he, what they, that he has is with his legs. He's a fast, he's a shifty kid, and he finds a way to get through all the creases and through the holes actually when the, the play breaks down. The only thing that we had a question moving forward was how was he at the passer? And we did see him take a step forward last year. He, as you said before, he threw for over 1,500 yards. I think he only played, I want to say, eight total games last season because we had the Mackenzie Milton. Like, what, 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 what will we have actually with them coming up with leg injury? And I want to say the last three to four games of the year, Jordan did finish up with 200 plus passing yards. The primary concern, though, with Jordan is that his entire career, he hasn't been able to stay fully healthy throughout the entire season. And that's something that hopefully he's apparently gained about 15 and 20 pounds moving forward. And if he's able to basically not only be fully healthy for the full season, but take another step as a passer, he is someone that could potentially be a top five QB in the conference. Personally, for me right now, I see him more as the middle of the pack, but he definitely has that uh, the talent with him. So, looking at skill players, you know, young running back core, you bring back Lawrence Tolafil, who you know limited carries last season, only thirty two carries for one hundred and sixty three yards receivers you bring back six of your top seven what can you tell me about the skill players position so it's funny you see we bring back about six but i think we also add about four receivers from the transfer portal um one of the things that limited jordan travis as a qb last year basically was his weapons on the outside i want to say three of our four star receivers ranked in the bottom 10 percent for success rate in men coverage and actually the one that was the best actually out of all three of them he had a success rate on receptions for about at least 20%. I think he was the bottom five in the entire country. 
Now we bring in a Michael Pittman from Oregon. He's the son of Michael Pittman, the brother of Michael Pittman Jr. for the Colts. Bring in Johnny Wilson from Arizona State. And then Winston Wright Jr., who was a all-Big 12 selection, I believe, actually at wide receiver and also at kick returner. He's going to be able to have those options. And then with the running backs, um, we do bring back Lawrence Philly, but I think the big thing that we're actually going to be able to do is bring a Trey Benson from Oregon, who's going to be replacing Jason Corbin, who was our belt cap back. And then the most, I guess, unsung hero of the entire group is a Trey Sean Ward, who was a preferred walk-on, actually, when we entered Florida State a few years ago under Willie Tiger. And now he's been able to basically be – he's going to be the head of the group there. But to me, I think it starts and ends with Trey Benson, who might be the most unknown of the three, but he has the best talent. And he reminds me a little bit of a, a Dalvin Cook-like, per se. Cameron McDonald back at the tight end position and then a lot of experience in the offensive line. You know, you talked about there, there's maybe a few question marks with quarterback and with Jordan Travis and your skill players, but having that experience up front could could really pay dividends for Florida State. I mean, not only is it that we have the experience up front, but this is the first time that I can honestly say in the past four to five years we actually have a two and even a three DB at the offensive line level. Um, Alex Atkins, the offensive line coach, and now he's the offensive coordinator for this team, has done a phenomenal job replenishing the cover when it comes to four-star and blue-chip prospects along the line. And also, I want to say, I think a minimum when we kick off against y'all at LSU, I think four out of our five stars are going to be transfers, whether it be a Dylan Gibbons, uh, Dimitri Emmanuel, and Kay and Lyles. Like, this is a team that finally, if stays fully healthy and depth-wise, even if one player goes down, we have a six player just to come in and we're going to have to to push the panic button because I don't know if you guys remember, but Dalvin Cook uh, from a few years ago hit a lot of the issues with his offensive line, the offense in general. And we saw that basically how poor they were for a very long time. And now it's the first time in a long time that actually we can be proud of the offensive line we have going forward. Chatting with Andre Silva from the Locked On Seminoles podcast. Looking at the defense, you bring back Jamie Robinson in the secondary as well as Kalen DeLoach in the linebacker's position. What else can you tell me about this defense? Uh, one of the people that we actually did bring in from the transfer portal as well uh, is a Tatum Bethune. He was the leading tackler for UCF for the past several seasons. That was instrumental with Randy Shannon being promoted from an analyst to the linebacking coach as well as defensive coordinator. He led the team with 10 half tackles for a loss and 105 total tackles. We'll probably see him up the middle along the side. And then another thing that I know your fans are probably going to be asking about is uh, Jermaine Johnson, who you know, graduated over to the NFL with the Jets now. Uh, we were able to bring on a Jared Verse, who is he may be an FCS transfer from Albany, but he's a kid that definitely shows the, the pass rushing ability overall. So to me, this is a, team, uh, a defense that didn't start out too hot, but over course towards the end of the season, I think and ended up top 50 per, uh, as a D-plus. And ESPN, I think, actually has it right now as a top 15 defense overall. So... It's going to be probably the strong, it's going to be the reason why we win a lot of games. This season. It's going to be the Mike Norvell, your your head coach, it's just coming into his third year with Florida State. First two years haven't been off to the best of starts, but there That's still seems there still seems to be a lot of confidence in, in Mike Norvell. Um, or do you or do, do you, I mean, or do you think he's on the hot seat? I think that this will be the year that finally kind of cements whether or not Mike Norvell is going to be the guy, not to only, not to bring us back to where we want to be. I think that ship has kind of sailed at this point. I think it's more that this will be the season to see whether or not Mike Norvell will be able to establish a solid foundation, I think, for the next guy. Um, as you said before, I mean, we had our worst loss, uh, loss of our entire program's history against Jacksonville State. 
start out 0-4, but then you have the sort of you know five-win game winning streak as well. You hear about all the players recruiting. He's apparently a great guy, but it seems to me at this point now that Mike, we've seen the improvements, but he needs to show a proof of concept with the wins to follow suit because college football is a results-oriented business. And right now, if Mike is able to, in my personal opinion, win eight games a season, maybe he can, you know, push it back a little bit. But if he barely makes a bowl game, I would not be surprised if we see actually FSU probably looking out for a different coach. And lastly, looking at the schedule, you know, Duquesne in week zero, LSU in week one, and then you've got Louisville, and you go a little bit further down the list, Clemson, Miami, Louisiana, and Florida. Phil Steele has this as the 18th most difficult schedule in the country. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I think it's, it, it's not easy to tell you the truth. I'm, my personal opinion, uh, I also am on Lawson ACC where we cover all ACC teams, and to me, the ACC is the conference quarterbacks. And we face you know, several top five QBs in there, whether it be Malik Cunningham, Drakovic, Sam Harmon, Devin Leary, D.J. Ongolele, back-to-back-to-back, and then NFC's off with Tyler Van Dyke in our rivalry game. So... And, and then we play y'all. Basically, you guys have a home game. I know it's not in Baton Rouge, but against LSU, a team where Brian Kelly has, has faced Mike Norvell twice and has beaten him twice, and has also scored, I want to say, 40-plus points against the same defense coordinator, Al Fuller, several times. So, yeah, it's a pretty damn difficult schedule, but I believe that this is probably the most talented roster FSU has had in a very long time, top to bottom, and also depth line. Andres Silva of the Locked On Seminoles podcast joining us. Andres, thanks for taking the time. Tell our listeners where they can find your work with Locked On. Uh, you can follow me at Tally underscore underscore Dre. You can follow the podcast at Locked On Seminoles on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. And as always, folks, please, you know, we thank you all for loving the support. And Matt, thanks for, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate the time, Andres. Right, have a good day. There he goes, Andres Silva of the Locked On Seminoles podcast the game clubhouse 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues that's because once you become a member of our rewards club you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a 150 dollars gift certificate to mr lester's steakhouse at cypress bayou a 50 dollars gift certificate to half shell oyster house or a 25 dollars gift certificate to mabel's kitchen the only way to score these great prizes is by becoming a member of the game clubhouse 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com it's simple it's free sign up today take a time out when we return we're going to the moon on this tuesday brian lalima of apollo hou and sports talk 790 in houston will join us we'll talk about the astros and their last couple of games we'll look ahead to the angels series this week and we'll get you set for the all-star game you're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Fly me to the moon. That's driven deep to left center field. Garner is going back. Looking up. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Miguez and Mesh are ready to launch into all. Houston Astros. Here is To the Moon on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. I get so hyped hearing that intro. To the Moon, Brian Lalima of Apollo HOU and Sports Talk 790. Brian, what's going on, man? How are you? Can you give me that rendition of See You Later just one more time? Wait, you heard me? Yeah, I can hear everything. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
Anyways. Come on, man. No, man. You, you can't put me on the spot. Why not? <laughs> this is to the moon, man. This is radio gold right now. Oh. Give the people what they want. Give the people what they want. Anyways. Oh, man. 56 and 29 are the Houston Astros. They're on the road tonight in LA. You're facing Noah Syndergaard. What can you tell me about this matchup? Well, it's Luis Garcia versus Noah Syndergaard. I mean, what kind of, you know, the, the top pitcher that we saw at one point, or are we just going to see a, an average Noah Syndergaard? No, with Luis Garcia on the mound for the Astros, it's, I mean, it's, it's basic baseball. Throw strikes, let your defense work, and, and get out of Anaheim with, uh, with, you know, to open up that series with a W. You know, Luis Garcia's last outing out, I think he walked a couple of guys, couldn't really com- didn't really have good command of his pitches. So, it really is, like I just said, it's fundamentals, man. Just throw strikes, and, and he's, got the good, he's got good enough stuff to, to get it done. So, we'll see what kind of – what kind of outing he has, um, you know, the offense is, is obviously uh, down a little bit with Jordan Alvarez going on the 10-day IL with hand inflammation. Uh, I did see the Dusty Baker talk to uh, the Matt Thomas show on Sports Talk 790 today, and he did say that there was no structural damage, so that's a good sign. He should be back after the All-Star break with the Yankees, which is a doubleheader right outside of the gate to start the second half. So, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see how the lineup does tonight against Noah Syndergaard. There's going to be a lot less see-you-laters out of Robert Ford with Jordan Alvarez being on the 10-day IL. Yeah, yeah, but, but we can at least get one more from you, right? <laughs> if they, I'll make you a deal. I'll make you a deal. If they win tonight against the Angels, I will post a video on Twitter and tag you in it with me saying see you later. Please do. Please I'll, do. I'll, I'll, make, I'll make that deal with you. So, looking at the last week, 3-1 and one against the Royals, 2-1 and one against the A's. Jordan, like, like we just talked about, goes on the IL. Dusty Baker said that his hand has just gotten progressively worse. You know, I, I know the Astros are great at keeping injuries close to the vest, but what's the latest that you're hearing, you know, on his hand? What is the injury? Yeah, so it's... Uh about it today on the on the show this morning that it was the Hammett bone and if you remember back in 2018 Yuli Gurriel went through the same injury he had to have the hook of the Hammett bone removed in his left hand he was out five to seven weeks um Wander Franco for the Tampa Bay Rays is going through the same exact injury he just had or he's about to have surgery he's also going to be out for five to seven weeks so it was it was speculated that it would be the Hammett bone for Jordan Alvarez, but uh, again, Dusty Baker had some media availability uh, early this afternoon, and he did say that the MRI showed no structural damage, um, So there is, or an, and an X-ray showed no, um, no fractures or anything like that. So really, I think he's just banged up. Um, he, he's been playing through this issue, so they put him on the 10-day IL. It's a perfect time to do it. You know, we won't see him in the home derby. We won't see him in the all-star game, which is fine. We know he's the best, arguably the best hitter in the game right now. Uh, definitely the best in, 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 uh, in the division over Shohei Otani. He should have been the starting DH, but, you know, it is what it is. So I think the good news is that they'll get him back to, to open up against the Yankees in the second half. 
That was going to be my next question. You know, I know it's kind of irrelevant now that he's not going to be playing, but the fact that Jordan didn't get selected as the starting DH over Shohei is uh, is kind of ridiculous. No. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, and that the All Star Game is an exhibition and it's voted on by fans, but at some point, you know, um, you got to get the best players in there. And if you look at the stats compared to Shohei Otani and Jordan Alvarez, it's not even close. I mean, from top to bottom, Jordan is the better hitter right now than Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani is a generational talent that we may never, ever see again, where he can realistically go for the Cy Young and also go for the MVP because he can play both positions, pitch and hit. Uh, but when it comes down to it, yes, Jordan should have been the starting designated hitter. He can't even make a case to start in left field. Giancarlo Stanton is starting in left field for the All-Star game. If he's starting, then you're going to tell me that Jordan can't start? BS. Jordan should have been starting, and we all know it. I agree with you 100%. Chatting with Brian Lima from Apollo HOU and Sports Talk 790 in Houston. So looking at the Angels, losers of their last four, and all of them came at the hands of the Baltimore Orioles. Now, I know the Orioles are hot right now, riding an eight-game winning streak, but it's the Orioles. Right. Like, that's just yeah. not a bad – that's not a great look for the Angels right now. No, no, it's not. It's, it's the Orioles. I mean, you said it – you know, I mean, good for them for, for making a, a hell of a run so far. But, again, it's, at the end of the day, it's the, it's the Orioles. Um, they're playing well. They're also playing – they're as hot as anybody. Uh, and they're right up there with the Mariners – or I'm sorry, with the Orioles right now. You know, it's it's – Teams catch fire at random times during the season. I really didn't expect the Orioles to uh, to be one of the better teams in the American League. Well, as of right now, Trey Mancini is a big part of that. He's been talked about in trade packages. But now, I don't know if the Orioles are going to be sellers. They might be buyers to try to sure up their lineup if they can continue to play well. Yep. But, you know, it's still really early in the season. Who knows if, if Baltimore can sustain that. But, yeah, really bad look for the, for the Angels. I mean, yeah, the Angels have been the laughing stock of the AL West for a while. I mean, they've got Mike Trout. Mike Trout's been to the playoffs one time, and they didn't even make it out of the division series. So, Looking at the Astros lineup, you know, how much of a breath of fresh air has Jake Myers been in, in center field? I mean, 314 one home run, 10 RBIs already in 51 plate appearances. I mean, just a hell of a start back to the lineup for Jake Myers. Yeah, you knew when Jake Myers was called up last year that he was he was closest thing to the real deal as you can get from a kid coming up from AAA. And he made his impact early on, and then unfortunately he got hurt late in the playoffs um, and, and missed some of the start of this season. And then, you know, no disrespect to, to Chaz McCormick or, or Jose Siri, but the everyday center fielder should be Jake Myers. And I think down the stretch you will see that. Um, I, I mean, the kid can do it defensively. He swings it the best out of those three. You know, you've got Jose, Jose Siri is, um, is a lightning rod. He, he um, comes in. He's got the flair. He's got the flamboyant stuff. He runs well. He plays good defense, but he just can't hit as well as Chaz McCormick. And then you look at Chaz McCormick. He plays, you know, a little bit above average defense. He swings it okay. And then you look at Jake Myers, and he has all the intangibles. He plays great defense. He can hit it. He, he's got good speed. He gets good jumps in the outfield. So, yeah, it's, it's been nice to have Jake Myers there. I would love to see him anchor down the center field position instead of this um, 
platoon, if you will, that, that's been going on right now. And then my last question, Brian, at the catcher position, you know, Martin Maldonado has kind of been the anchor in that spot. Justin Castro has been, Jason Castro has been Justin Verlander's battery mate all season long. But then you bring up, you know, the, the, the golden prospect in Corey Lee, the future of, of Astros backstops. What, how do you see this catcher situation playing out? Because there's no way they can hold on to three catchers up in the show. No, I, th- I think it was a really good move to bring up Corey Lee when Jason Castro went down. Um, you gotta, you gotta get Corey Lee some reps here at the big, the big level at the with the big club. Um, but I, I would, you know, I, I, I really think that when Jason Castro comes back from the IL, you're going to see Corey Lee sent back down to AAA. Um, and you might, you might even see him be a September call up to get some more, more experience at the big league level. But I think it was, hey, you know, bring him up. Let him get his feet wet a little bit. Let him get a taste of it. He finally got his first hit. He, he was, you know, he had three hits and three RBIs the other day against Oakland. So, I mean, Corey Lee's going to be the future of, of the catching position for, you know, for the Astros. So while you have Martin Maldonado, why not bring Corey Lee up? Let him soak it all in. Let him spend a couple of days, a couple of road trips, a couple of series with Martin Maldonado. And uh, just, you know, just get the experience. The more experience, the better. Maldonado and Castro, both 35 years of age. How much longer do you see either one of them playing for the Astros? Um, I would probably say that you're going to have Martin Maldonado next year. I doubt they bring back Jason Castro. And then I would I would really think that it'll be Martin Maldonado and Corey Lee as the catchers for next, next season. Um, you know, Martin Maldonado, you can't say enough about him. Yes, we all understand as Astros fans that his offensive production – is not what everybody wants it, but that's not why he's on this team. That's not why he's in the lineup every single day, you know, besides when Justin Verlander is on the mound. What he does for this pitching staff from top to bottom, from starters to relievers to closers, is, is something that is it's not talked about enough. And he's going to be a manager one day. I firmly believe that. Um, he's that good. It's, it's the off, it's, um, off the script moves that he makes and pitches that he calls and, and mound visits and everything he does is just he is the unsung hero of the Astros right now and, and um, you just really can't say enough so I I really really think it'll be Martin Maldonado and Corey Lee behind the plate next year for the Astros. Brian Lima of Apollo HOU and Sports Talk 790 in Houston joining us Brian appreciate you taking the time each and every week and uh, we'll do it again next week my man. Sounds good love it every Tuesday boys. Tune in next week for another edition of To The Moon here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Welcome back. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 554 here on your Tuesday. Ralph Bergeron comments on the poll question. Jameis is top 15 for sure. But his ceiling is unlimited. Remember his options from last year. Last year's wide receiver one will be wide receiver four this year. That is a valid point. Jameis has a lot more weapons to throw to this year. Big question mark, though, is how healthy is Jameis Winston? Yeah, you see the videos of him throwing balls with no brace, which is a good sign. But he's not running. He's not taking hits. He's not He's not in game shape. 
how healthy will Jameis Winston be? That's going to be a big question that's going to get answered in the first couple weeks of the year. You'll see it pretty early on, you know, what kind of shape he's in and where the Saints can go in this season with Jameis Winston at the helm. Astros 838 tonight, and you can hear Robert Ford and Steve Sparks bring you that game right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 in Lake Charles. Tomorrow, we will bring you a preview of the British Open. And like we do each and every Wednesday, to that Wednesday, Brendan Earl of Canal Street Chronicles will bring you everything you need to know about the black and gold as we're less than a week away from rookies reporting to training camp in the Big Easy. I want to take this opportunity to, pre- to thank Phil Steele, the college football guru, for joining us to give an insight on both LSU and the Cajuns. I want to thank Andres Silva from the Locked On Seminoles podcast for joining us to give an insight on the Seminoles, again, LSU's first opponent in Week 1 and UL's opponent in Week 11. And then, of course, Brian Lalima of To The Moon Tuesdays from Apollo HOU and Sports Talk 790 in Houston. Really appreciate him taking the time each and every week to bring you everything you need to know about the Houston Astros. For James Mesh, I'm Amigas saying be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them. We'll see you tomorrow on a Wednesday edition of Crunch Time with Amigas and Mesh on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. It is Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.